It's interesting how much love you can have for somebody. It's like you were in the mission in foxholes together. And so you don't care just about their physical life, you care about their spiritual life. And it was clear to me that there's something going on, something quietly, the adversary, um, that the real problem isn't that we don't know what to do, it's that we're not aware that there's a problem. So a missionary coming home has to recognize no matter how strong they are, that this can happen to them. Wasn't it obvious then, and isn't it obvious now, that if I want fish, I can get fish? What I need, Peter, are disciples, and I need them forever. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's, uh, it's great to be with you again today. Hope you're having a, an awesome day. Um, today, we are fortunate. Um, Brian is out hunting beasts in the wilderness, and so he's not with us. But fortunately, uh, I have a, a, a new guest today, uh, Jared Danis, who is a great friend of mine and a, a fellow teacher here at the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. He's kind of a unique teacher because he's also... As his full-time job, he's actually involved in the business world. Jared, you've uh, worked a lot with Summer Sales, right? I have. Um, that's really been my life the last decade. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and in addition to that, he just loves to teach. And, and so he's recently began teaching uh, seminary part-time, and then he teaches a class here at the Institute for Return Missionaries. And it's kind of a fun story. Uh, one day, Jared came into the Institute, and introduced himself, and I, I just saw immediately that he was somebody that was just really passionate about helping return missionaries make the transition home, and as a result, we asked him to, to teach a class for us, so he teaches a class helping return missionaries become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ here at the Institute. He's also uh, he's a return missionary himself, Served in Anaheim. How long have you been home now from your mission? 20 years as of last month. <clears throat> 20 years. 20 years. You're, you're a pro. So uh, so that was a while ago back in California. He, since then, he's married to his sweet wife, Tamson, and they have three children. Uh, and uh, just excited to, to get some of your thoughts and ideas today, Jared, about your feelings about helping return missionaries. Oh, I have a lot of them. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Sean. You bet. Really appreciate it. So, Jared, as you look at as at the returning missionary coming home, what do you what do you see as some of the the major challenges that they face making the transition? Oh, I think there's a lot of them. Um, just going from my life experience, that was one of the things I realized real quickly was, wow, this isn't easy. This isn't easy coming home. And uh, just to give you a little bit of my story. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, when I got home from my mission, I, uh, here, here's, a, here's a fail. I want to share a little fail. <laughs> it was about two months after my mission, I was asked to give a talk in, uh, with a high councilman, and uh, I only semi-prepared. I'm like, oh, the scriptures always come to me. You know, I, I know where they're at. I'll bring them up. So I go up, and I, I give my talk, and it was the biggest, the worst talk I've ever given. <laughs> I remember being up there on the stand, and none of the scriptures were coming to my mind. I couldn't find where they were, and uh, I, I'm like, what has happened in this short amount of time? And that was like a, a real eye-opener to me, 
that uh, we haven't arrived just because you felt like you were someone special on your mission. When you get home, if you don't continue doing the things you were doing at the same level, uh, it's, it, it's rather difficult. So that was, my, that was one of my first wake-up calls was, wow, I need to work to have the Spirit with me and to uh, keep my Scripture study alive like that. Uh, second was, I can't, this institute is actually a very special place to me. It really is. Um, in fact, uh, before my mission, this is where I got my testimony of the Book of Mormon. I met this teacher, Brother Doug Bassett. Do you know who he totally is? Totally know Doug. Love Doug. Uh, he pa- since has passed away uh, in 2010, but that man was a mentor for me and really pointed me to Jesus Christ and the Book of Mormon like no one ever had. And so I got my testimony here of the Book of Mormon just in the, the room right above us. And um, after my mission, I sought this guy out again. And uh, he was able to share things with me. I think that he wouldn't share it to the general audience. Like, he... He talked to me more like matter of fact, like you better or else, <laughs> like you would to a son, right? Yeah. So I remember approaching him, and he asked me this question. He said, he said, are you parked in a ward? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, do you have a calling? I said, well, um, I'm going to my family ward sometimes. I'm going to this local singles ward. And then he made this statement that I'll never forget that to this day, I can remember everything about it. He, he said this. He said, the least spiritual people that I know are return missionaries that ward hop. <laughs> and then he said, park yourself in a ward, Jared. And he turned around, and he walked away. And I thought, I'm like, like a mic drop moment. I'm like, man, you need to, you need to enlarge your circle a little bit. I know a lot less spiritual people than return missionaries at ward hop. But since the day, I, I kind of know what he was talking about. I mean, we, re, we achieve these levels on our mission because of our daily acts. And if you stop those things, so does your spiritual levels that you were at. So that was just a, a couple moments early on in my mission, or since my mission, that have kind of wakened me up a little bit. And I jumped on board, and I got a calling, and, and was blessed since. So I, uh, I started in summer cells the very next week after I graduated college, which isn't typical. Usually it's a college job. And uh, I found that I gained a lot of skills on my mission that uh, helped me in the business world, really did. But the saddening thing was I saw a lot of other return missionaries uh, who had, um, you know, not, they're not as hot in the faith anymore. Yeah. And I, I saw it all over the place. Um, there's, there's this drive for money, mm-hmm. this lust for money, and, uh, you know, something about traveling away from home makes your Sundays, your Sabbath day, turn into a fun day. Mm. And that was rampant. It's like one of the only days off we have. It is. It's the only day off, so it's understandable. And at the same time, when you see that, you're like, well, there's some some things to this. You know, there's some risks involved with uh, being this far away, not having a calling, Um, kind of feeling like when you're that far away that, uh, you know, maybe sacrament's enough and, uh, you know, the rest of the day is a play day. It's tough, but it's that's that's the way it is. And so you I saw see. the impact of that on people around you. A lot of them, yeah. a lot. And anybody that's gone out and sold summer sales can attest to the same thing. Yeah. And I did it for years, sold for years. I'm grateful I was married. My wife kept me grounded, I believe. But uh, I don't think that's what gave me the passion to help return missionaries, though. Um, I do have a story that uh, when it all began, and it was about six or seven years ago. I was actually reflecting on it today, 
And what happened was um, I, found about, I found out about two of my companions that had returned home who were awesome missionaries. And they were my companions. I loved them. And I saw that they both pretty much left the faith. And I was like, what? I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll just talk them back into it. i got to talk with them and talk some sense into them. And uh, the first one, he was far away, so I just communicated online with him and, and found out pretty quickly that there wasn't much I could say that could help him. And that, to me, was really hard. But this other companion I even had a closer relationship with, and I thought, well, if we meet up for lunch, I've got so many stories that he and I saw miracles together. So this will talk some sense into him. I met up with him, and... Uh, and I found out pretty quickly that my conversations with, with him weren't helping. And I, then I would say, well, what about this miracle? And he said, oh, yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. I'm like, uh, well, what do you mean that was cool? I, look, that's proof right there. He's like, yeah, I have some ideas of what that could have been. I'm like, what? And then, and then uh, what about this story? Same thing. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's happened? So I drive home after that lunch meeting just feeling like a failure. And I pull into my garage and I remember pulling in, and I don't know if I started up a prayer or what happened, but I remember sitting there, and then I just started to sob, like uncontrollably, like gut-wrenching sobbing wow. for me and my companions. I had never felt this way about somebody else and their decisions than I had felt about these two former companions. Yeah. Feeling that it's interesting how much love you can have for somebody. It's like you were in the mission in foxholes together. Yeah. It's like a war buddy. Yeah. And so you don't care just about their physical life, you care about their spiritual life. And I think it's just that imagery of you weeping uh, just says it all about the love that you have for them. Yeah, man, it was, it was a wake-up call. And, and I think the difference between, like you said, with the other return missionaries I had been around a long time, I, I didn't know where they were before. But these ones, like you said, I had yeah. been in the foxholes with. I had been yeah. rejected with. I had seen miracles with. And to see them fall from where they were, it was devastating. It was like I was grieving. And in that moment, I feel like was, uh, it was huge for me. It was the day that, and this is what I was reflecting on today, my grief and my sorrow um, was replaced by a desire to help. Wow. It was, it was, it was real. And I was determined. And remember, I'm a nobody. I don't have any clout with helping any return missionary. Right. So I'm like, I'm writing a book. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. I'm not a writer. Just, this I, is just bubbling out I, of you. This I'm like, desire. I got to share it. I got to, <laughs> I got to help these RMs. Yeah. You know, I just took it on myself. Right. Yeah. God put that in my heart. I yeah. know he did. And so I like started. It was a calling from heaven. Yeah, know? it was a calling from heaven. I wasn't set apart or anything like <laughs> that. But I'm like, so I, I go in my bedroom and I start writing. My wife's right there. What are you writing about? I'm like, I'm showing returned missionaries how to stay active. <laughs> so I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. And I end up writing a, quite a few chapters. And, uh, and I thought, why would anybody want to hear anything I have to say? I just work in summer cells and that's what I do. I'm like, I'm not like a teacher or anything or anyone that, of any clout. And then I thought of a guy that you know, Brother Bartholomew, Ron Absolutely. Bartholomew, yep. who was a mentor for me after I returned home from my mission. And I felt, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to approach him and ask him to throw his stuff in and put his name on it and to him to get it out, because maybe they'll read what he has to say. 
So I approach him, and uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. I approach him. I'm like, man, I just feel like I should talk to you about this, about writing this book for the return missionary. And what do you think he said? He said, I've been having the same uh, feeling. So <laughs> it seems like the Lord was orchestrating all of this with you and with him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then he gave me some homework, you know, because he, he's a very educated man and has written many articles and things. And he's like, I want you to go get every book about return missionaries, read them all, you know, find out. We don't want to be copying anybody else's stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Whatever you tell me to do. So I go to Deseret Book. And I get a bunch of books, get all of them. I check them all out, and I read them all. And as I'm reading them, I'm like, man, these guys are copying everything I said, <laughs> even the quotes, the <laughs> scriptures. And, uh, and, and I lost a little steam after that because I'm like, it's already out there. Yeah. It's already out there. So, uh, so things slow down a little bit for me in my, in my, uh, my real intense. I'm like, well, good. Someone's already kind of taken care of it. Well, a number of years pass by. And I go back, and this is uh, this might have been right after I approached you, uh-huh. and I go to the Deseret Book again, and because I had given away those books, I said, "Where's all your return missionary books?" They're like, "We don't have any." I said, "What do you mean you don't have any?" They're like, "Well, we just don't sell them." I'm like, "Is it because nobody buys them?" And she's like, "Yeah, nobody wants them." And it was clear to me that there's something going on something quietly, the adversary, mm-hmm. um, that the real problem isn't that we don't know what to do. It's that we're not aware that there's a problem. Wow. That's totally redefining this issue. Yeah. So that to me was a wake-up call. So, but that, that's kind of the story that got me um, sincerely interested in, uh, in teaching and uh, helping the return missionary. So I guess the, the first level then is, is you realize people out there don't recognize that there's a problem or maybe this is something that they really get lulled to sleep on, right? You're just, it's just kind of gradually, <clears throat> I think Satan gives sedatives to, to return missionaries. And before they know it, it's just like a little less, a little less. And you don't just starkly see the contrast until you're, you're pulled down. The Book of Mormon talks about a flaxen cord and that flaxen cord just, you know, easily to break through one strand and two strands I can break through. But, but all of a sudden, before you know it, there's a problem. And at the point you realize it, you're pretty far down the road. You know, one time I remember in a, in a Sunday school class, we were, it was New Testament actually four years ago. Yeah. And I remember uh, somebody in the class saying, as we were studying about casting out demons and these things, and, and I remember this... this uh, this member said, why, don't, uh, why isn't Satan involved like he used to be? Or why, does he, uh, why don't we cast out demons like we used to? And for me, it was like I wanted to jump out of my chair. <laughs> I'm like, Nephi told us he is lulling us yeah. carefully. He is pacifying us. Yeah. It's not the same way. And you, you will see that part of him, but usually it's only after you've detected him. So I had a I had a, this last weekend. Uh, are you a BYU fan? Total BYU. Fan. Okay, I'm a huge BYU Mega fan. Diehard. So I went to the Arkansas BYU game, and that okay. in itself was a blessing to go to. So yeah. right. So I went to that game. It was incredible. And uh, some of the local members said, "Hey, are you guys? Since you guys are from Utah, are you also going to go to the temple dedication uh, for the Bentonville Temple?" And I was like, "Oh, and I didn't hear about it, but of course we are." So. 
we find a local chapel where they're going to be doing it, and it's Elder Bednar. Yeah, which he's, he's from that area. He's from that area. He Absolutely. loves the people. He was the stake president. He was the bishop there. And uh, so we watched the second session is what we watched. So, And he said something in that session that just struck me, and it was about to me it was about return missionaries. To him he was talking about temples. And uh, what he said was, he said, sometimes when we get a temple here, or a, t- a new temple in a new place where we haven't had one before, members in that area start to take it for granted. And he was really upfront with those people because those were his former, yeah. you know, members yeah. that he was he was head stewardship over. And he said sometimes they take it for granted, and maybe instead of attending that Friday like they're planning, oh, let, let's push it off for the ball game. We'll go next week. And he says a lot of members will say, oh, that won't happen to us. And then he said, well, it will happen to you. But he says, if you think it could happen to you, then it won't happen to you. Yeah. And when, when he said that, I was like, that's the key. That's it. That's the key. Yeah. So a missionary coming home has to recognize, no matter how strong they are, that this can happen to them. <clears throat> I, I mentioned on a previous episode, the very last night with my missionaries in the mission field, we would have a family home evening. And in that family home evening, uh, I would talk to them. Statistics say that after two years, three out of 10 of you will not be still active in the church. They can measure that by being a full tithe payer and whether you're coming to, to sacrament meeting. And I'm like, which of the three of you is that going to be? And what do you think the reaction was? Not me. Not, are you kidding? No way. President will never fall away. They just, and I, was just, I had this feeling of, it's true. They'll never fall away. They'll never... They'll never struggle. But then, you know, the reality hits when you come home and you get start getting pulled away. And I've had many missionaries come to me and talk to me and like, oh, I'm really, I'm really struggling. And so I love this idea that when you come home, you have to come home with the recognition that everything you have, you have to continue to gain. You, 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 it's like working out, you know, you, you can, I've, I've lost 18 pounds probably eight different times. <laughs> you know what I mean? And as soon yeah. as I lose it, I get content before I know it. I'm, I'm right back where I was. Yeah. I'm in one of those stages right now. Which the, stage? Which I'm, I'm in the high, I'm like in the 18 pound heavier oh, okay, stage okay. than <laughs> I was not too long ago. And, and it's just, you get lulled into, to the security that everything's good now. Yeah. But if you can always just maintain that idea that, Hey, this is something I have to maintain every day in my life mm-hmm. if I want to keep it strong. I've got to work at it, right? When you have that in mind, I think the way you act is is completely different. See, that was told to me before I came home too. Yeah. But I didn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't believe you, it. You think, how could I ever lose this? No. It's so strong right then, you right. know? So uh, one thing we've gone over in our return missionary class as we bring up the story in Alma 33, when Alma's talking about uh, Zenic and Zenus testifying of Christ, um, I love one thing that Zenic says. Um, he says, let's see, let's see if I can find it. In Alma 33:16, he says, Thou art angry, O Lord, with this people, because they will not understand thy mercies, which thou hast bestowed upon them because of thy son. And I thought, why? That's, that's kind of a hard verse. Why would the Lord be mad with me? Because I don't understand the mercies of the Savior. But then, reading that, and then reading the verses where he talks about Moses holding up the brazen servant in verse 19, he says, Behold, he was spoken of by Moses. 
Yea, and behold, a type was raised up in the wilderness, that whosoever would look upon it might live. And many did look and live. And you think about, like, well, the, return, the missionaries, while they're out there, they didn't set the rules. In fact, they wouldn't have chosen most of them. Yeah. Right? And uh, so they're given these training wheels. Yeah. That's allowing them to have this framework that allows them to become mighty in spirit and have testimony because of these rules. They don't realize it, but that, that's, that's the situation. And in Alma thirty three nineteen it says, Many did look and live, but few understood the meaning of those things. And I think that's pretty powerful going back to what Zenic said. The Lord isn't happy that we don't understand. What is it they don't understand? That the looking is what gave you the power. The reason you're the missionary you are is because of what you were doing. And then it says this. Let's see. And it says, few understood the meaning of those things, and this because of the hardness of the hearts. But there were many who were so hardened that they would not look, therefore they perished. Now the reason they would not look is because they did not believe that it would heal them. And I just believe that is right to the return missionary. Yeah. The reason that you are what you are is because what you're doing, because of your looking, the effort of looking to Christ. If you think that that's not the reason why you are what you are, then you're going to fall into the category of no longer looking because you don't believe that that was the source of your power. Yeah. Do you think the missionary, some of the return missionaries start to see that they are themselves the source of that power? I know I did. <clears throat> yeah, I just like... I'm like, I'm get... a scriptorian. I know my stuff. Before I know it, I can't remember where the verses are. And you get pretty good at summer sales and you start making money and you're like, wow, I'm... I've got some really skill, great skills here, and you, you forget where those skills came from and where those gifts were developed. Amen. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I, I, I love that because really that is a, a Christ reference as well, right? That, that serpent on the stick absolutely represented the Savior, and it was looking to the Savior and focusing on Him that gave them the strength and the power that they needed. As soon as we take our eyes off the Savior, we're a lot like Peter. We got out of the boat. We're doing really good. We're focused on him. And then our, our attention diverts to the waves and to the winds. And we know with Peter, that's when he sunk. That's it. Right? And that's, that happens to the return missionary. Happens, that's happened to me in my life. Multiple times I get more worried about those winds and waves and I take my mind off the Savior. And all of a sudden I get concerned about the wrong things. I start looking for the world to entertain me or to make me feel better. And that's, that's when Satan really starts to, to take over. Do you have right. a temperature check? Like little things that you're like, I'm, I'm desiring this or I want this so I know where I am. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. Like um, I, I feel one of my temperature checks is if I don't put my heart and soul into my calling like if I dread, oh, I got to go ministering today or I've got to go back out to the church for another appointment, that's a temperature check that, that I'm kind of dreading that instead of something that I just am, am excited about. Yeah. You know, it seems like the more I am into the gospel, the more I'm studying, the more my prayers are sincere. I just, I just feel like you. I just like, I got to go out there and I got to tell people about these things. So that's one of the measurements for me is my desire to share the gospel with others. When that wanes, that's a red flag for me. Hmm. You know, how about you? That's like next level stuff there. <laughs> For me, it's when I start like lusting after the things of the world, like yeah. money and yeah. 
and I have pride and comparison and I desire the next new cool thing. Yeah. When I start seeing those desires, I'm like, okay, I know I'm getting out of whack on this side. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. It's every time. So the thing is, is I know that you don't always feel like following the small things. Yeah. You just don't feel like it. Yeah. Same with exercising and yeah. losing weight and all those things. You don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, Elder Elder I- President Iring said, our mortal enemies are inconsistency and procrastination. Yeah. And that's all of us. Yep. So one thing that we talk about with our, with our in our class is COVID really rebu- uh, revealed something. And that was with temples. To go to the temple, you have to make an appointment. And so, or like goals, right? You got to yeah. make appointment or goals. And then President Nelson said, um, keep those appointments with exactness and joy. Yeah. We all can get to class on time. We all can get to our job, whether we want to or not, whether we feel like it or not, we can get there because we know we have to be there at that time. Yeah. If you're told just do the work whenever you feel like it or do the class work whenever you feel like it, you'll never do it. Mm-hmm. You'll keep pushing it off. So I believe the return missionary has to be intentional about appointments with the Lord. Mm. I mean, we have all these distractions, but they're also like tools for us. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I have a reminder on my phone that tells me what time I should read my scriptures. I'm like, that's my appointment. I also have to make an appointment to go to the temple. And I'm like, I might not feel like it on Friday night, but I made an appointment. So I got to keep my appointment Mm -hmm. with the Lord. So I feel like to combat procrastination and inconsistency, you have to be intentional about making appointments with the Lord. Yeah. There's no other way. And when you stop and think about it, who would you rather want to keep an appointment with? Totally. With the Lord or with the friend? We're more concerned about keeping an appointment with a friend or a colleague at work than we are with the God of the universe. Right. You know, that, that, <laughs> it, that something's wrong there, right? right. So I love that. It, and I think that comes back to this idea of personal integrity. Um, Preach My Gospel, second edition just came out, and uh, they added a Christ-like attribute to the list, and that is the attribute of integrity. Hmm. It's such a critical thing for a missionary to be true to what they said they would do, right? To, to have absolute Even after integrity. the mood, they set it and exactly. leaves them. In the inspiration of the moment you're studying, you feel the Spirit, you feel like I can run out and, and always do it, but then the mood wears off, and that's when we find out what kind of integrity we have. And I find with myself, I have really good integrity with other people. If I tell somebody I'll do something, I, I tend to really do it, but I don't have very good integrity sometimes with myself with some of the goals that I set when I'm the only one that knows whether or not I did it. You know, right. It's like it's not an, another person involved. I think if the return missionary can learn that having integrity with the Lord and with themselves is the top priority. It's amazing the kinds of things that they can do and how strong they can stay when they're, like you said, I love the word, when they're intentional about their progress. Mm. I think that also brings in another element of service, though, too. Like yeah. you mentioned, it's easy for you to keep your word to somebody else, what, yeah. what you'll do. So that's what I found the benefit. I've been teaching seminary now for almost three years. And... Uh, I have found my level of spirituality going through the roof compared to what it was before. And why? Because I need the spirit with me so I could teach. <laughs> yep. 
And, and so you if know it when it's not there. And I know. I'm like, summer comes, I'll get a little worried. I'm like, that's when vacations and stuff happen. And yeah. it's very easy because I'm not worried about, oh, I got to have the spirit to teach tomorrow. Yeah. I got to have my lesson ready. Yeah. It's uh, okay. It's just me. So sometimes that, that can be difficult. But if you're, if you're put in a position with a calling and you're ministering and you're thinking about somebody else, it makes all the difference, yeah. I believe. So, so Jared, as, as we kind of wrap up and conclude this episode... If you could say one thing to the to the young man or young woman who's coming home from their mission, maybe they just got back or or maybe they've been back for a while. Um, if you could say one thing to them that in addition to what you've already said today that would just help them as they they move forward, what would it be? Fitness is huge. We just talked a little bit yeah. about it already. Yeah. You go in the gym right now. There's a lot of gyms around here. You walk into it, you find somebody that you know that they are committed to their how their body looks right maybe a little too much <laughs> and they're in there and you ask them like, hey what's your what's your goal how how big and strong do you want to get like well I, they probably have an idea yeah i want to look like this guy maybe show you a picture and you're like okay well what are you gonna do the day after you end up looking like that guy are you gonna take a break yep. no way man <laughs> like wh- why not because they understand the idea of atrophy yep if I'm not working, then I'm atrophying. Yep. Why do we think spirituality is any different? It's not. And the thing is, is are we like Heavenly Father yet? Are we like our Savior Jesus Christ yet? Not even close. But he has so much for us to do and enjoy in life, and he wants to bring us there. So I think the idea that you have not arrived, I think if you can have that in your mind and your heart and not... And think the reason and the source of your power is Jesus Christ. And the things that you're doing on your mission is the reason why you are who you are. If you can like somehow get that inside of you and be aware, I think it'll make all the difference. That is so amazing. Thank you. You remind me of, of one of my favorite scripture stories as we conclude here. This is John chapter 2. And uh, we call this the beginning of miracles. This is the first recorded miracle of the Savior. And it was at the, the wedding of Cana at a place called Cana. And it seems that Jesus' mother was somehow in charge of the, the refreshments at the wedding. I don't know if it right. was a close relative or right. exactly what it was. But uh, during the wedding, they ran out of wine. And I guess at those weddings back then, this was not a good thing. Right. And it would have been for her really bad for her to be hosting this wedding and not have wine for the guests. And so uh, I'll start in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Thankfully, there's a Joseph Smith translation there, which means woman or mother what would you have me do? And mine hour is not yet come. And in verse five, his mother said unto the servant. So she turned away from Jesus and she looked to the servants. And I, I can just picture, picture Mary, the mother of Jesus. The only person that could have done that. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> turning to the return missionaries, turning to all of us, right? And saying this, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Just as a motto, whatever he says to you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. 
a firkin in the Bible dictionary says is eight to nine gallons. So this is somewhere up to 27 gallons in each of these water pots. Uh, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. So to go out and fetch that much water, this is a big task to do. And he says, fill it. And I just love their response. The way that they listened to, to Mary, it says, and they filled them up to the brim. They filled. And I don't think this is like toxic perfectionism or having to be totally perfect because none of us can arrive there. Right. But they had this attitude of whatever Jesus says, understand that he is saying that to you because it is in your best interest. It's what's going to help you one day to be able to return back to your heavenly father and to become like him. And none of his instructions are designed to, to burden you, but all of them are designed to, to bring miracles in your life. And I hope that we can all be like these servants who said, absolutely. And they didn't just fill the pots. They filled them to the brim. They gave their whole heart and their whole soul to whatever Jesus said. And, and I know that's what all of the return missionaries, that's what you did out in the mission field. You know, we, we, we gave, we followed Jesus to the brim. And I know that as we continue to do that, we'll see miracles. And if you read the rest of the story, you see how the water was changed to wine and how that, that wine tasted better than any wine because they did what Jesus did. And I know, Jared, as, as all of us as returning missionaries will pay attention to what you said and be intentional about looking unto the Savior, Jesus Christ about having integrity with the commitments that you've made and understanding that our spirituality takes a lot of hard work and a lot of focus, that we'll be able to stay strong and that we'll be able to to see miracles. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel podcast. If you feel this podcast might be helpful to others, please invite them to join us for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe using the link found in the episode notes to submit questions and offer suggestions. For more information about Institute and other offerings from the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. The Preach My Gospel Podcast is produced with permission from the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their experiences applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these episodes.